A reading from the book of Mark. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting worse, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You may have a seat. Morning, Rise. How are we doing this morning? <laughs> Feeling rowdy at 11.15, apparently. I like it. I like it. Man, can I just tell you what a joy it is to... I just love Sundays. I love getting to get up and preach the word. I love gathering together as a church and worshiping. Uh, there's just something so beautiful about it. And um, this church in particular, I just love how engaged you guys are. You love the gospel. You love God's word. So thank you for, uh, thank you for making it a joy. Coming to passages like this, it is so encouraging because um, the gospels, they implore us to find ourselves in the story. The way they are written, the details that are laid out, it, it draws us in. And when we look at the suffering of the bleeding woman, it, it draws us in. Here, here's a few areas that we see. Um, we see, one, there's just physical suffering and pain. For 12 years, she's dealt with this issue, and it's only grown worse. But there's also a, a deeper layer there, not just the suffering and the pain, but she is categorized in her society as ceremonially unclean, according to the book of Leviticus. And because of that, she's actually not able to participate in her community's uh, spiritual, sacred, religious rituals because she's constantly in this state of being ceremonially unclean. But there's also a communal shame tied to it. Um, if she touches anyone that person then becomes unclean. And they have to go through this whole process to be cleansed by a priest to where they can actually come back into their communal worship. And so she's isolated, she's disconnected. But then even her personal life, it's in disrepair. Financially, this passage speaks to, she spent all that she has, and yet it's only gotten worse there's no indication because of her uncleanness that she can even be married or have kids. And so it's just this perpetual cycle. 
G. Campbell Morgan, he puts it like this, kind of explaining the state of this bleeding woman. He says, by the very law of her people, she was divorced from her husband and could not live in her home. She was ostracized from all society and must not come into contact with her old friends. She was excommunicated from the services of the synagogue and thus shut out from the women's court in the temple. Biblically, what the psalmist would label this um, is the pit. Man, she was in the pit. Any of you ever experienced the pit? These moments in life where you're like, man, this is just it, heavy. It feels like everywhere I turn, there's just a weight. Some of you, even right now, you, you walk in and you're like, I, I feel this. There, there's all kinds of ways we can experience what the Bible calls the pit. Um, one of them is physical suffering. Some of you, uh, you're facing physical suffering and pain right now, and it just, it just lingers. It's like always there, a diagnosis you never expected, a certain pain that seems to just cripple and affect your everyday life. A, a few months ago, my wife noticed it before I did. She was like, hey, what's wrong with your neck? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you turn like a robot now. Like, I was like, oh yeah, because it hurts every time I move my neck. I was walking around like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, like, it's not a tumor, you know, and just like in pain. I was like, it affected everything, that, the way I slept, the way I interacted, and I finally go to the chiropractor, and he sits down, and he asks all these questions. He goes, oh, I know exactly what the problem is. Like, what is it? He goes, you're getting old. I'm like, not fun, you know. All right, listen, Mr. Cairo, just crack my back and fix me. You know what I'm saying, right? Just, but it, you get these physical afflictions and they seem to affect everything. Some of you guys have had dietary affliction. Some of you had physical pain. And it just seems to affect all of life. And I, I just need you to hear, and when you read a passage like this, that, that God does not diminish your pain and suffering. Uh, sometimes as the church, you know, we make everything spiritual. And we'll get to that in a second. But the truth is there is physical suffering that affects every area of life. And I just, as we read this passage, those who maybe find yourself in that place, I just want you to feel seen in this moment. The Lord sees you. He acknowledges what you're, the way you are suffering, the, the burdens that are upon the brokenness that you are feeling. And so physical suffering and pain is a real real area that can bring us into the pit. But there also is spiritual suffering. This can feel like a, like a darkness or a disconnection that lingers over everything that you do. Some of you are trying to pinpoint what's wrong in your life. Like there's just something off. And I, and I wanna just argue biblically that maybe what you need to explore is what you're experiencing is spiritual oppression a spiritual darkness, a spiritual suffering, because you can't point, well, it's not my job, and it's not finances, and it's not physical, but th there just is this overhanging, lingering experience. This is what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. He says, for a struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. He's like, listen, you have to understand, part of our struggle is not against things that we can see, there is a spiritual realm. There's a spiritual layer to the things that we go through. When we look back over the last few years of what our community and society experienced, you know, the season of COVID, right? There was, was there a physical realm to it? Absolutely, absolutely there was. But you know what else there was? There was a spiritual darkness. 
a spirit of fear and isolation that just, especially in our area, and, and you, st- you still feel it. You're like, man, they're, 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 this is a spiritual war that is going on, what people are experiencing. And the enemy is using the season of isolation and fear to just cultivate and draw out and pull away. So we have to, we have to acknowledge there is physical suffering, but there is also spiritual suffering. There's relational suffering where you're like, man, my relationships are falling apart or soaked in pain. Many of you, have experienced this, especially over the last couple of years. Friends that, like, man, I, I don't spend time with them anymore. Family that you used to be close with. Some of you, it's with a spouse. For some of you, it's a kid. Like, man, I, I don't have the relationship with my child that I long for. Others, it's your parents or your friends, maybe even neighbors and coworkers. They're, that is real pain as real suffering. Sometimes it's not even conflict. Sometimes it's just lack of connection. Like, man, I feel isolated. I feel alone in this season. Paul, he, again, writing to the church of Philippi, and he addressed, there, there's this conflict between these two gals, Eodia and Syntyche, and he says, I urge them to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. Remember, their names are also in the book of life. And so what he's addressing, he's like, no, listen, they are saved. But what's happening is not good. This is not the state that we should operate in. And I, I do feel a little bit bad for these gals. You know, you're like, you make the Bible. You're like, I made the Bible. Like, my name is in the Bible. Oh, what's it for? Did you do a miracle? Did God heal you? I go, no, I was... I was, I was fighting with Syntyche, yeah. Like, first my parents named me Eodia, and then uh, I got in a fight with Syntyche, and uh, we were fighting over whose name was worse, and uh, it, it was just a, it was a problem, if any of you are named. No, I'm not even gonna apologize. I don't think any of you are named that. Uh, but the relational pain is real, is it not? Man, the disconnection, the heartache of it. But there's also financial suffering. And this is, this is a real hardship, and then we're seeing it. We're experiencing it. I, I remember um, growing up in the 80s and 90s, like the, the epitome, the greatest uh, picture of this was, uh, was Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live, when Saturday Night Live used to be funny. And uh, he shows up as a motivational speaker, and he's warning these kids, you know, you go down the wrong path, you're going li- to end up in, living in a van down by the river, you know, right? Yeah, I was showing my kids that yesterday. I was like, they didn't laugh. I don't know why. They're like, humor is different. But I, I, I'm watching this, thinking about today's day and age, and I'm like, you know what's really funny to me is like you watch these influencers, and they're like, hey, here's my goal. I want to live in a van and I want to just be free down by the river. It's like a goal now, right? The van's like $95,000, you know, apparently thanks inflation, you know. This is now our new, where we go. But it's a real thing that people are facing. We are facing in a real way. And here's what I need you to hear, okay? Do not under-spiritualize financial hardships because the Bible never does. It speaks to these as real, tangible sufferings that we are facing, and so we can show up and we under-spiritualize things. Oh, I just got to do this or I just got to do it. No, like those of you who are in financial hardships right now, again, I want you to hear the Lord sees you and he does not diminish it. Even in this passage right here, it, it, she's going through this physical suffering, this pain, this relational suffering, but it also speaks to what has happened because of it. 
There's a financial burden that she is under, and the Bible does not undermine it or diminish it. The Lord acknowledges these things and says, yes, this is actual, this can be painful. There's emotional suffering. This can look like shame, depression, anxiousness or anxiety, fear, isolation. These are those days you just, you wake up, you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna keep, I don't know how I'm gonna get through today. Now, I, I want you to just look at this list. And I just wanna acknowledge there's some weight that is being carried into this room today. And I want you to even identify, you know what, here's some ways that I'm facing hardship and pain. You know, because we do this funny thing with church. And we say these things like, oh man, just leave your burdens at the door and come into worship. I don't think the Bible ever calls us to leave our burdens at the door. I think the scriptures call us to bring them to the altar. And, and, and so I just want to acknowledge this moment, the pain the suffering, the hardship that you are facing, that, that Jesus sees it and he knows it. And stories like this are an invitation to us to bring our burdens and our suffering and pain to the one who can actually do something about it, the one who can actually offer healing. This is what these encounter stories are for, that we would find ourselves in these stories longing for this kind of encounter with Christ. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. We learn from this woman what we need. And you know what we need? We need faith, you guys. And I don't mean this in some kind of small, pithy way. Oh, I just gotta have faith, you know? Like, hey, I'm broke I'm in pain, I'm in suffering, I'm disconnected. And what's so interesting about those categories is how often one leads to another. You're experiencing a physical ailment and that actually results in financial hardship or has a relational burden of like, ah, I, I just, it's harder for me to connect with people because of what I'm experiencing and going through. And, and you start to experience even a depression or anxiety. Will this ever even get better and then there's this spiritual realm, does God even see me? These are all tied together. And what we need in these moments is we need faith. And, and again, not pithy, small faith. You know what faith in scripture is? Faith is coming to Jesus. Faith is saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't solve my own problems, but there is a healer who can heal. And this is what this woman does. She has faith. She has an understanding that, you know what? If I just touch his cloak, if I just touch the edge of his garment, I can experience healing. Now, here's what's ironic to me. As I'm preparing, kind of reading this passage and reading different theologians and their commentaries on this passage, I actually found myself incredibly discouraged by the way that they spoke about this woman and her faith. And, and here's what I mean. The, when she says, if I just touch the edge of his clothes, or she thinks that to herself, tells us that in scripture, she'll be healed. A lot of these commentaries and theologians, they're like, oh, she was, you know, that was secular superstition because there's no reason that she would believe that uh, and, you know, and she shouldn't even believe that. Here's one commentary. I'm not gonna even put it on the screen, but I just want you to hear it. She says, she heard about this miracle worker named Jesus. 
possibly with pagan superstition, she believed that if she could just touch him or his clothing, she could be healed. Her theology may be weak, but her faith is strong. And I read that and I was like, that is a really irresponsible reading of this text. Let me tell you why, okay? Um, because what we need, we need, in order to understand the meaning of a passage, okay, this is called hermeneutics, to interpret the meaning of a passage, the most important indicator, the most important way to interpret scripture is by what else it tells us in scripture. That's how we get the meaning, okay? So even if you're reading something like uh, the book of the letter to Ephesians or Paul's writing to Timothy, you have to understand the context of Ephesus, in order to understand the context of Ephesus, you want to ask yourself, does the rest of Scripture speak to this? And in Acts 19, there, we learn a whole lot about Ephesus. So we take what we learn and we apply it to interpret what's actually happening, okay? Uh, tracking with me on that? So similar in this passage, when it says these, gives us these details, details like she thought to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, then I'd be healed. We have to ask ourselves, where would she get that idea? Is that pagan religion? It's not pagan religion. Let me show you, okay? You, you, when you look in the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies, messianic prophecies about how you'll know the Messiah. And here's one in Malachi 4 too. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, which is a term for the Messiah, shall rise with healing in its wings. Now, we read that in our English language, and we think, okay, you know, we're just like thinking bird. We're thinking eagle, okay? So somehow there's these wings that the Messiah is going to have, and then there's going to be healing in them. But the word here is the Hebrew word kanaf. Let me give you a, a description or interpretation of the word kanaf. It can be translated as wing, but it also means extremity or edge or border or even corner of a garment or even fringe, okay? So... The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to have a healing in his kanaf. Now, do we know from the Old Testament, is there a certain clothing that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people would wear that had kanafs in it? We do. And we know from Numbers 15. It says, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garment. This is specifically speaking about a prayer shawl, which the rabbis would wear on the corners of the garments throughout the generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassels of each corner. Now that word corner, what is that word in Hebrew? Same exact word for wing. It's kanaf, on his wings. And so she reads this passage and she reads the Old Testament and it says, okay, he has these kanafs on the corner of his clothing and if he is really the Messiah, it says he will have healing in his kanaf. He will have healing in his wings. And this is what Luke writes. Now, Luke is a doctor and he was very specific. There's three different gospel accounts of this story with this woman and Luke gets incredibly specific. Here's what he says. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak What's, what do you think Luke's drawing attention to? What is she touching? She's touching the corner. She's touching the tassel. She's touching the kanaf. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes, cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She doesn't have weak theology. She has brilliant theology. And her brilliant theology motivates her and gives her courage and faith that the Messiah can heal her. This is the kind of longing that, this is why we always talk about Jesus, that we would recognize his voice. 
that we would know the healing that he offers us. We're not just walking around, oh, just gotta have faith, gotta have, no. Faith is not about this, you know, oh, we have, we have to have all these details figured out. Faith is in a person, and it's certainty around Jesus. See, this is why this matters, because what we believe about Jesus will determine how we respond in suffering. This is what faith means. Not, oh, oh, I'm just gonna be healed. No, I know, faith means I know who to bring this to. I know who to reach out. I know who to long for an encounter with. And that person is the risen Christ, Jesus. That's what it means for us to be a people of faith. And so we have these burdens and we see this story and this, we have this suffering and we see her suffering. And what should we do? We should be like her. We should have the kind of theology and biblical understanding that pushes us towards bringing our burdens to Jesus. Because you guys, faith is not primarily clarity in what you believe. Clarity matters. We're, we're gonna, we teach on that all, no, here's, here's what we believe as followers. But that's not primarily what faith is. Faith primarily is certainty in whom you believe. Not just clarity over the what, it's certainty in the who. Here's why. Because the what is gonna change. You're gonna go through all kinds of ups and downs. I don't, know how, I don't know how much time I have with you. I really don't. I don't know if I have a couple Sundays. I don't know if I have a few months. I don't know if I have a few years, maybe even decades, okay? Because people move and people leave churches. But here, so my goal is not to get you to subscribe to some certain theological tribe. Oh, if you could just, hey, just agree with me here. I mean, and my goal certainly is not for you to believe in me and trust me and, and rely on or other leaders and pastors. Absolutely not. My goal is not a what. My goal is a who. Because if you could walk through these doors, even one Sunday, and hear the gospel, and hear no matter the brokenness, no matter the pain, you have a God who sees you and has the power and authority and hope to do something about it, man, that'll change our lives. That is what it means to be a people of faith. Because Jesus is the only one who's never changing. Jesus is the only one who will never let you down. Jesus is the only one who can offer what you truly need. So when I say we need faith, what I mean is we need Jesus. And we need a certainty in the one who will never let us down. This is what Mark is revealing in this story. This is why he goes through these encounters over and over. And he has this interesting format, okay? He formats it like a hamburger, okay? A story like this. It starts with a smaller story, ends with the same smaller story, but in the middle, he sneaks something in. You know what he sneaks in? He sneaks in the meat. This is the most important part, the most important theology of this whole story. So we start and we see this encounter where Jairus shows up and he's like, my daughter is sick and she needs healing. And on the way, he has this encounter with this bleeding woman and afterwards, if you continue reading Mark chapter 5 and read through the end, what you see is the very end of this story where Jesus shows up, this little girl has died, and he says, Telethakum, which means little girl, get up. And he raises her to new life. But Mark is trying to draw our attention to the parallels in these two stories to say, what's missing and what's happening here. Let me show you these details, okay? You see all this overlap between these two stories. First, it, both these stories of the woman and the daughter, they're both about stories about women, which sounds very common and obvious to us, but in that day and age, they were the underclass of society. 
Stories weren't told about them. They're both stories about desperate situations where no one could help but Jesus. This woman went to doctor after doctor after doctor. No one could help. Jairus comes pleading with Messiah because no one is able to fix his daughter's sickness and it ultimately leads to her death. Even the details, to pay attention to the details in the gospel. How long has this woman been bleeding? She's been bleeding for 12 years, right? Guess how old this little girl is? She's 12 years old. Man, it's drawing us in. It's like, oh, there's something here. They're both the untouchable because they're both unclean. And in fact, they're not supposed to be touched by anyone. If they touch anyone, they make them unclean. And yet Jesus touches this bleeding woman. And when he shows up and this girl is dead, he touches the dead, which was against their, their, their rules as a society. And it's because he's the Messiah. And when he gets touched, he doesn't become unclean. He makes the unclean clean. It's drawing us into these details. But the most important detail is that they're both daughters because of how much it's left out of the first one. And here's what I mean. This little girl, it's Jairus' daughter, and he pleads for her life. He longs to see her healed. He fights for her to find hope. He uses all his access, his influence, and leverage to bring Jesus to his daughter. And any of you with a daughter know you would do the same. Even without a daughter, you can imagine if your little girl was sick, you're like, I, I wouldn't care about society. I wouldn't care about it. I would use every means that I have to bring Jesus to her. But this woman, all the details of this story are telling us that there is no one fighting for her. No one's striving to bring her healing. No one pleading on her behalf. No one, she's ignored, she's outcast, and to suffer on her own. And then Jesus shows up, has an encounter with her, and then what does he call her? Look at the text, it says, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He calls her daughter. This is the only time in scripture where Jesus calls someone daughter. See, this story is not the story of a bleeding woman and a sick daughter, this is the story of two daughters. Whose daughter is the bleeding woman? You guys, she's God's daughter. He gives her a new identity. He says, no one's fighting for you, but I see you. I see your pain. I see your hardship. I see your suffering. You don't have a father in the picture. You don't have a mother in the picture. You don't have a husband. You don't have kids. You don't have friends. You don't have anybody, but you have me. And I see you and I'm gonna heal you, and I'm gonna offer you newness of life. Oh, this is, isn't Jesus amazing? This is the encounter that we are drawn into and called to build our lives upon. And so it beckons an invitation of us. Look at verses 30 through 34. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
What does this passage invite us to? It invites us to reach out in faith. Active faith, not passive faith. See, the irony is all these people are bumping into Jesus, right? So he's like, who touched me? And his disciples, you know, they're idiots, right? And they're like, what do you mean who touched you? Like, are you hungry, Jesus? Like, what's happening? It's almost like demeaning. Like, everybody's bumping into you. And he continues on. He's like, who touched me? And don't you think there was people in the crowd there that day that saw this and witnessed it? And they're like, wait a minute. She touched the tassels. She touched the corner, the kanaf of his clothing, and she gets healed. I, I bumped into Jesus. Where's my healing? Like literally, shoulder to shoulder. Like we, I, I was bumping into Jesus and I didn't experience healing. And here's what we need to understand and take away. There's a big difference between bumping into Jesus and reaching out in faith. And what this is beckoning us to is that we should be a people who reach out in faith. Not just like, hey, I show up. I gave Jesus time to bump into me. I opened my Bible. I gave Jesus time to bump into me. I sat and, you know, I even prayed. Gave Jesus time to bump into me and he chose not to heal me. And then, no, no, this is beckoning us. Would we be a people who reach out saying, Jesus, I know you are my only hope. I know that you can bring what I need. Are you either gonna bring healing on this side of earth or you're gonna bring me the strength and courage and the reliance and the presence that I need to get through it. That's what it means to be a people who reach out in faith. Spurgeon, talking about this passage, he says, it's not every contact with Christ that saves. It is the provoking of yourself to come near to him. The determinate, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ which saves. Would we be resolute? Would we be people who look at all our burdens and not just say, woe is me? Say, no, the Lord sees those and he acknowledges them. But you know what I need to do with these is I need to bring my burdens and my wounds to him. And I need to reach out in faith. And so here's my invitation to you. When you came in, you had these cards on your chair. I just want you to grab one of those. And I would, you can do it now or you can do it as I wrap up. You can do it towards the close. But I want to invite you, those things that you're feeling burdened by, those things that are heavy on your heart, to, I, want you to, I want to invite you to write them down. This is, we're talking one, two words, something that means something to you. You can put your name on it. You don't have to put your name on it. But here's what we're going to do. In a few weeks here, we're going to have a, a day of prayer and a night of worship, and we're going to hang those around our building, and we're going to walk through as a church, and we're going to pray over those burdens that you carry. And I'm going to invite you intentionally and purposefully to pray over those over the next 35 days because we're going to gather together on November 19th, and we're going to have what we're calling Victory Sunday. We're going to celebrate that we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are gonna celebrate that we find our victory in Jesus. And the only way is if we actively bring these things to him. And it's gonna be a big party. We're gonna have baptisms. We already got people signed up to get baptized. And we're gonna do baptisms a little bit different this time, okay? Normally we have baptisms up front. Like, no, we're putting in the middle of the room and we're gathering around these brothers and sisters and we're celebrating together. And it is gonna be a joy celebrating together with all of heaven. And we're gonna continue to bring these things intentionally reaching out in faith, saying, Jesus, would you move in us? And here's the thing. Jesus, he does not promise to heal everything on this side of earth, this side of heaven. He he doesn't, but he promises to hear us. And he promises to give us hope. 
And he promises to give us strength and courage and to walk with us in these things. So would we be a people who actually believe his words? As Psalm, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, and I, and I love Peter, when Peter describes the Psalms, he talks about the Psalms as the prayer life of Jesus. This is so beautiful. This is what Psalm 103 says. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What you need to do in your heart is you need to praise the Lord, and you need to remind yourself of his goodness and his love and his strength and his courage, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He is outside of time. Your healing may not be experienced right here and right now, but it will one day in heaven. And your forgiveness, he forgives all that we bring to him, who redeems your life from the pit. What do we do about times of the pit? We bring him to the one who sets us free to the Savior who sets us free and crowns you with love and compassion. That's what he puts on our head. Who satisfies your desires and good things with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is what God is like. And so what are your burdens? Bring them to a Lord who can do something about it. Reach out in faith believing that he will be present with you, that he will offer you his grace and his hope and his goodness. You know, there's this pastor named Dwayne Miller. He's a pastor in a small church in Texas. And he woke up with the flu one morning. And many things about it were very normal, but his throat was burning. It said his throat felt like it was on fire and just sandpaper and raspy and couldn't talk. After a few days, the flu went away. But his throat was still damaged so much so that he could barely speak. It was this low, rat, like raspy whisper of a talk. People couldn't hear him in conversation. Now, that's pretty hard for a preacher. If you can imagine somebody who finds his identity and life in that, he kept trying to preach, he kept continuing trying to preach, they'd use all kinds of different microphones, but he would have a two to three day recovery afterwards. Just the suffering and the pain of just trying to preach for 30 minutes. And he reached this point and he's like, I just cannot do this anymore. He ended up quitting his job as a pastor. He took a job even working for the government doing research. But this job required that he would show up to court and testify. He'd show up to court to testify. They couldn't hear him. He couldn't even, continue, he couldn't even keep that job. For three years, he visited 63 different doctors, throat specialists from all around the country. He's like, I just want my voice back. And every one of them came to the same conclusion. They're like, listen, that flu that you had, it damaged the nerves in your throat, in your vocal cords. And it's not gonna heal. They're irreparably damaged. And you will never be able to speak and teach and preach the way that you once did. Well, this church that he kind of grew up in and used to teach Sunday school at, when, you know, when they heard his story, they're like, listen, we just love you and your teaching and we, we developed this special microphone that we're gonna be able to hear you and we know you're not gonna be able to preach in a big service, but maybe to a small group of believers you could teach us Sunday school. And, and they pleaded with him and he finally did and they asked him to come and teach on suffering and healing. And he taught from this passage, Psalm 103. And I want you to listen because they recorded his teaching that morning. And I want you to 
pay special attention to his voice as he starts teaching through Psalm 103 and he starts speaking about the pit and how God meets us in it. And then pay attention in the room, what breaks out. Because what this man experiences is radical healing in this moment. And they recorded it. And it's, it, it is just a powerful movement. So we're going to watch it together. And then we're just going to praise and celebrate God together. Lord, oh my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says... And he redeems my life from the pit. Now, I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had, and you have had in times past, pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm but overwhelmed at the moment. <laughs> Sounds funny to say at a loss for words. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I <sighs> He redeems my life from the pit. <laughs> and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. I'm sorry for the emotions. No, I'm not. That's a lie. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, that's good. We have a Savior who heals. We have a Savior who saves. We have a Savior who is still healing. Do you believe that? Man, would we be a people that come to him in faith? If an old Baptist church, you know it's a movement of the Spirit when an old Baptist church busts out singing spontaneously. <laughs> Do 
do me a favor, just, just close your eyes right now. And if you're willing, just hold your hands in front of you. What are the things that are holding you in the pit? What are the burdens? What are the, maybe it's for somebody else, but where are you suffering? You guys, let's bring them to Jesus. Let's be a people who long to have an encounter with him. Lord, we bring these things to you. We don't leave them at the door. We bring them to the altar. And we believe in faith that you see us and that you hear us and that if it's for your glory, you will heal us. Lord, I pray for the burdens in this room right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would set captives free. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would heal emotional wounds, that you would set free from spiritual oppression. But Lord, more than anything, I ask that you instill in us a faith that says we bring these things to you, that we would be a church that is just reliant on you, desperate for an encounter with you.